brought my Mother's Day card from last week to show you. From your son. Mom, where would I be without you? Probably buried under 500 pounds of junk in my room. I love you. Happy Mother's Day, Noah. Rare are the children who like to prune, to cut away their belongings. And for that matter, rare are the adults. <laughs> Among other challenging metaphors Jesus uses to help us live a godly life, pruning is the one before us today. I don't mind cutting dead branches off the rhododendron. It's the live stuff that's hard to kill, like roses or azaleas. Or you plant six carrot seeds per two inches at first. And when they get to a certain height, you pull five of the six out of the ground. Cutting off life is painful, and yet we know that it's good for the long-term growth of the plant. There are not enough nutrients in the ground to support six carrots per two inches, nor is there enough space. Pruning is the short-term painful mission for the long-term good that of a bountiful harvest. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower, or the gardener. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, to make it bear more fruit. God has the long-term good of the world at heart and wants a bountiful harvest. But bountiful harvests take a long time, and they take a lot of energy, and that is difficult in our world where we want everything faster and cheaper. Think about Leip's Pharmacy in South Roanoke. It's closing because we want things faster and cheaper. At Lipes, the pharmacist knew and kept confidential your medical issues, could ask about your family members by name, and it might take an extra day or two to get your prescription at Lipes, but you could chat with your neighbors there. You could strengthen the community. Four-dollar prescriptions at Walmart and Kroger. Medications cheaper and faster, and so people stopped getting their prescriptions filled in their neighborhood pharmacy, and now it's closing. Why? Is it everyone else's fault? We want things cheaper and faster. We don't want to pay and wait uh, through that short term for the long-term good. Pruning has the long-term good in mind. Barbara Essex tells us something I didn't know about vineyards. She said that young vines are not allowed to produce fruit for the first few years. This means a drastic pruning is needed each season so that the plant can develop to its fullest. Vineyards, then, are long-term investments and labor-intensive if we are to have a bountiful harvest. Jesus' metaphor is of God as the gardener and Jesus as the vine, the vine that is rooted in the soil of God's love, the gardener's love. 
We then are the branches that radiate from the vine, and our goal is to bear good fruit. Obviously, we cannot do that if we're disconnected from the vine. We have to stay connected to Jesus. John's Gospel describes how Jesus has been instructing his disciples in what it means to bear fruit. We're in chapter 15 today, but two chapters earlier, in 13, Jesus washes the disciples' feet, something that the lowliest servant would normally do. And he tells them this is what it means to serve, go and do likewise. He has said to them already, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Our closing hymn will remind us of this. In chapter 14, he's promised them an advocate who we experience as the Holy Spirit. And then just before he delves into this grapevine metaphor, he tells them he's going away. I'm going to the Father, he says. He is being cut off, pruned from the disciples. Jesus knows that he's being pruned out of the picture. And so he's preparing his followers to carry on the work that he started. And this work is the fruit, bearing good fruit. Fred Craddock tells about a missionary friend named Oswald Golter, who served for 30 years in China. And Dr. Golter was speaking at a seminary chapel service. And at that service, he explained that he had spent his last three years in China under house arrest. Finally, the government told him that they would release him if he promised to go home. So he wired the missionary society, and they sent him money for transportation. He took a ship from China and landed first at a port in India. While he was in this coastal city, he heard that there were a lot of Jews who had been denied entry into many other countries, and they were living in barns all around the city. Well, it was Christmas time, so Oswald sought them out. And when he found them, he said, Merry Christmas. They said, we're Jews. I know, but it's Christmas, said the missionary. They said, we don't observe Christmas. We don't believe Jesus is the Messiah. We're Jews. The missionary said, I know, but what would you like for Christmas? We don't keep Christmas, they said. I know, but if someone, you, if someone gave you something for Christmas, what would you like? And they said, we really like German pastries. Good, the missionary said, and he went off in search of pastries. And he found them, and he used his travel money to buy them, and then he took boxes of German pastries to the Jews living in barns. He would say, Merry Christmas, as he gave them their pastries. And then... He wired the Mission Society and asked them for more money to get home. So this chapel service, the kids and the students in the chapel service were hearing this, and one of the students on the front row was incensed by what this missionary had done. And so he said to him, why did you do that? They don't believe in Jesus. And Dr. Golter replied, but I do. I do. When Ken Massey heard that story, 
the question changed for him, and he heard a voice say, why should we love enemies who do not care about human life? They aren't even Christians. And then came the reply, no, but we are. We are. Why, Calvary, should we spend time ministering in the neighborhood of our church building? Most people who live nearby won't set foot in this building. They may not even be Christians. But our response, we are. We are. We don't do it for us. We do it because we believe in Jesus. Twenty years ago, this church took a van into the neighborhood and picked up children and brought them to church. Why devote energy and resources to kids who aren't going to appreciate it? Because we're Christians. Some of you will remember Jason Cancino, who came all the way up through the youth group and off, went off to the Marines, still considers this his church home because there was an investment of time and energy into bringing those kids to church. Why spend time tutoring children at Hurt Park Elementary School or the Baptist Friendship House? Why spend all that money to fly to Standing Rock Reservation and spend time with people who distrust us and only come for entertainment purposes, for materialistic purposes, because we believe in Jesus. Just because some people think they're not worth anything, we know better. We know that people have value just because they're alive, and we want them to experience that love through us. They may not feel it from others around them, but they have value and they are worth the expenditure of our love. This is bearing good fruit. At home, we recently watched a show about the building of the Airbus A380, the world's largest passenger plane. It was 1988 when an Airbus team began working on a plane that would surpass in size and ability the Boeing 747-400. Research and development cost billions of dollars. In one safety test, they ruined a $13 million engine to make sure a cage would catch the fan blades that would fly off in case of an explosion. That test worked, but other plans had to be pruned away for the long-term safety of the aircraft. Nineteen years after they first began planning, was when the A380 started carrying its first passengers. 19 years. I wondered how people have the courage not just to create the idea, but to bring it to reality. A task like that seems insurmountable, but the huge and hopeful team was working together toward a long-term goal of this magnificent airliner, and after years of investing time and energy and money, their work bore fruit. The role of the church is similar. We are a team working together with hope toward what may seem an insurmountable goal. We want to help others recognize the life-transforming presence of God. And when the things that we are doing that are no longer working need to be pruned, we need to find the courage to do that. 
And sometimes things that we are doing, even though they're bearing some fruit, need to be pruned because in the long run, we need to devote our time and energy and nutrients elsewhere. We constantly seek God's guidance in understanding what we need to prune so that we can bear the best fruit. At last week's leadership retreat at Eagle Irie, one of our group heard this quote, it's not change we fear, it's loss. We don't like pruning because pruning is about cutting off something. It's about losing something. We don't want to lose a family member. We don't want to lose a job in which we've finally gotten comfortable. We don't want to give up a family tradition, even if we don't know why it originated. And yet families are brought closer together when a death occurs. Or the firing from one job leads to a better, more fulfilling position. Or the breaking of great-great-grandma's serving platter leads to a warm family story and a new, meaningful tradition. Churches deal with loss. Every organization does. Gone are the days when the church was the center of the community's life and many people devoted hours and hours of volunteer work here. And whether it's because there are so many other options now or whether it's because we're no longer abiding in the vine of Jesus or whether it's because of dozens of other reasons, it's different. And it's loss. And that feeling of loss can make it hard to focus on the future instead of the past. Also, at last week's leadership gathering, author John Gordon commented that fear and faith have in common that the future for both is unknown. Fear imagines a negative future. Faith imagines a positive future. He challenged challenged us by asking, so why would you want to imagine a negative future? Why not choose to imagine a positive future? I have been learning recently that insurance companies imagine a negative future. At Calvary, we wanted to host a group of teenagers in underused parts of our church building for the summer, but the insurance company imagines all the bad things that can happen and says we can't do it. Many of us live with fear of a negative future. And at the same time, we want to be people of faith, people who imagine a positive outcome and invest ourselves in creating it. We want to remember again and again that God took Jesus' death on Good Friday and brought life out of it on Easter Sunday. Can we trust our future to God? Can we turn our fear into faith? Jesus, the vine, said, Abide in me as I abide in you. Make your home in me as I have made my home in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Just as a floor lamp has to stay plugged into the current to light a room, we need to stay plugged in to Jesus the vine if we're going to light the world. 
It's not that hard. It just takes time and energy. Spiritual disciplines have been around for centuries because they work. Devotional Bible reading, meditation and prayer, the practice of communion, meaningful conversations with friends, singing our beliefs in hymns and songs. All these nourish us and help us stay connected to the vine. That vine is Jesus, firmly planted in the soil of God's love. 1 John 4.9 says, God's love was revealed to us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Through love, we live. And 1 John also says, God is love. We stay connected to that love when we stay connected to Jesus. As it becomes more real to us, that love becomes more real to those who know us because we express it. We bear fruit. And as our faith and hope and love continue to grow and spread because we are being nourished by the vine of Jesus, then God's kingdom is made real on earth. Let us hope. Let us love. And let us pray. Take away our fears, O God, and help us to trust ourselves completely to you. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.